Hi everyone, I'm Pamelia Chia and you are listening to the Singapore Noodles Podcast, your go-to destination to learn about Singaporean food culture. Today I have on the show Chris Prowler who is the founder of Follow the Farang and an avid traveller who shares the best places to eat on his Instagram, Prowlergram. It is obvious through his Instagram captions that Chris is someone who genuinely cares about exploring a country's cuisine beyond the greatest hits and that he is intentional about understanding a different food culture. So I've invited him on the show to share about his impressions of Singaporean food and to shed light on how we can introduce people to new cuisines. For a start, let's talk about your childhood. You know, when I look through your Instagram, I realize that you have such a diverse palette. So I was really wondering where that came from. I mean, was it from your childhood or was it something that you developed along the way through your travels? Um, I think it's a, a little bit of both. Um, I, I, when I was young, my family was very poor. We, we didn't have money. You know, my, my mom worked two jobs. My dad worked one full-time job all the time. Um, and so we didn't eat in the way that people eat now. You know, there was no steak and chips. There was no, you know, it was very, very much small food. But along that way, I ate a lot of offal. Um, obviously because of my age as well, you know, like, you know, go back 40 years even when I was a kid, offal wasn't quite normal in the butcher because people couldn't afford the, the, the proper meat, for, for one of a better word. So offal was very, something I ate all the time. And so um, once after that, like people would call that adventurous, but for me, it was just necessity. It wasn't, you know, we didn't have a choice. So we ate, this is what we ate. Um, and like you'd have like certain spices or whatever, just to make it not so boring. But English food, you know, like it's not the same. Like, and so like if I sort of jump ahead in time, like the first time I went to Hong Kong, I immediately related to the food because everything was awful, but it was this new spicy kind of, you know, wow, what's this extra flavors? And, you know, so I think I, I, I had a base for trying things and eating things because I didn't know any different. Um, but I think once I finally went to Asia, like I, I've eaten around Europe, when I was younger and, you know, did some island hopping in Greece. and So I ate Greek food and I'm quite adventurous. Like I'll do stuff, like I'll do a bungee jump. I'll do this, I'll, you know, whatever is in front of me, I want to do it and I'm curious. So like, you know, I try to get as many experiences of things as I can. But yeah, the, the food didn't, well, I wasn't really adventurous in, in the, the way that there was not much availability. So I had to actually go to other countries to try food. Um, and that wasn't the reason I went, but it became something that I did while I was there, you know. So I'd, I would say I wasn't particularly adventurous in food, but I wasn't scared to try things. And so, you know, this love for travel, where did it come from? I don't believe there's anybody that can dedicate as much time of their life to travel cannot be inspired by Anthony Bourdain. I mean, the guy is just incredible. Um, but I think the way he does it, I think that was really what's the inspiration. Like uh, you see, there's a lot of guys doing it on YouTube now, you know, and and it's all the kind of clickbait excitement. Oh, like you see them taking a bite of the food and going, mm, it's delicious. And 
but really like they're just advertising themselves eating somebody else's food. Whereas with Bourdain, he'd go there and he would film the family, he would film the people, he would talk about where the food is from, why they eat it. You know, like it wasn't about him eating the food, it was about the food and his chance to eat it and and why and who from. And, And I think that was what kind of made me think like actually you know I can go to a faceless restaurant and eat anywhere in the world which I was doing I was going to LA I was going to New York but I never met any of the chefs I didn't know who they were I knew nothing about them apart from the oh they're the top chef but then doing it his way it's oh I can see the chef I can talk to the chef the chef has a story they're not from the country they're cooking in you know like and there was these millions of different things which is just sparks curiosity for me I was like oh now I need to know why they're here or what they decided they're going to do here and why they're now they're cooking food or, you know, so for me, that's the reason like I like the travel and the food thing. Like it used to be only about the food, but as time has gone by, it's become more about the people and their food, you know. And has that been difficult for you? I mean, especially when you, you were traveling in Southeast Asia, was language ever a barrier? Um, it, it can be, it can, um, but not necessarily in a simple communication. I mean, you know, you can basically walk up to anybody and you can point at something and say like, oh, I want this, I want this, I want this. But for example, if I eat something that's got a flavor that I don't know, which in Asia happens a lot because, you know, like the, the fruits, vegetables, uh, even spices um, and herbs like this stuff that we don't have here or they're quite unique to particular countries and so asking what that is that can be difficult you know even with google translate because i don't know what i'm asking for in english mm. and you know so like, i can't say you know if it, it, there's no translation because i don't know the english word they don't know the english word i don't know the thai word or the malaysian word so you can't ask for something if neither of you know the word for, you know, you can point at it. But yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the, the most difficult thing. I think generally speaking, um, apart from when you're in little corners of areas where you, you don't speak any of the language whatsoever, which is your own fault, you know, like you're going to somebody else's country, don't expect them to speak English to you. Like, you know, that's not their problem. Like, you know, it's your problem. So you learn the language, you learn how to ask for things, you learn at least some sort of respectful communication, and then you can maybe try and, and, and get around things, you know, but like, don't expect the world to cater to you, you know, like it's not there for you, you know, you're going there. You know? So I think in fairness, any problems that has been before, I would say it's my fault. Mm. You know, like I educated myself enough on the way. Yeah. So what is your process when planning a trip? I mean, do you do a lot of research on the food before going to a country? No, very little. Absolutely, virtually nothing, to be fair. Um, I, I, but I think this has become an experience thing. Um, like originally, my first ever um, journey to Asia was Hong Kong. Um, a lot of my friends um, who were British white guys, um, they got jobs there, finance, um, you know, insurance, you know, like they worked on the island, they were in the money part of it. And I went to visit them um, and they didn't really show, they were lazy, they didn't learn any language at all, which I'm kind of annoyed by, but um, 
you know, they, they took me out to places, but they took me to the restaurants, which like, you know, the rich crowd went to, which were not really Hong Kong at all to me. They were just an international version of many dishes. So um, basically I went over there with no knowledge whatsoever. Um, and what they showed me was, I, I don't know, it didn't feel like I was anywhere else. Um, and from there, I, I went over to Macau and I ended up living in Macau mm. from, from that trip. Um, and that was pretty much where it started for me. I ended up working for this casino and I stayed at the casino. Um, and I pretty much played poker for, for hours upon end. Um, and at the table, you get a menu because you, you don't want to leave the table because you're, you're playing. Um, and so I was getting food sent to me. And uh, I was ordering from the Western menu. And then, I, you know, you get a little bit bored. And so I was like, okay, let me see what, what else there is. And so I saw a Chinese menu. And uh, one of the things on it, which is probably, I would say, the turning point in my life, jellyfish salad. Just ordered it. I just thought, you know what? I've never even seen a real jellyfish. Uh, you know, like, why don't I just try this? How, can, how bad can it be? It's a salad, you know, like. And uh, they brought out basically it was a jellyfish with like a, a Sichuan dressing um, and and some salad, you know, like it wasn't like like leafy, but just you know. And I, I ate it, and the texture of the jellyfish was amazing. Like I, I immediately liked it. It was just like oh my god! And then the the pop of the Sichuan peppercorn, like just um, you know your lips and you can feel it. And and for me, I would say even now, Sichuan peppercorn is probably my favorite flavor in the world, just because it just went woof. And I, and then I was eating this maybe four times a day. Like, you know, just ordering it, like, oh, yeah, they could, you know, over a period of 12 hours, I'd be like, oh, yeah, give me another one of them jellyfish salads, you know. And then so after a period of time, it was like, okay, well, I really like that. So, you know, and staying in a hotel, you can't eat hotel food for months on end. So I was like, let me go out. Let me see what I can find. And I just walk around Macau, you know, and I've discovered loads of pork chop barns and noodle places and African chicken. And, and I felt that. I was looking at things and thinking, will I like it? But it was familiar because it was similar to food that I'd eaten before here. And so, like, that became the process of how I kind of do things. And then I realised because I love this food so much, like, what about the rest of Asia? I mean, I, I liked what I thought was Thai food. I liked what I thought was Malaysian food. And so I thought, well, you know, I've got time on my hands. I can travel. I can have a look, you know. So... Um, I ended up going to Bangkok and just got immediately blown away by, by the food because, you know, you can't walk down a street without seeing something good, you know, like it's, it's local food. It's not there to, for tourists or to show off or, you know, but it's just damn good. And I just thought, oh, this is great. You know, I can walk down this street and I can find something really good. So that's always been the process. And now... Um, after a, a year or two of doing that, you know, you, you kind of recognise what's good and what's not good because you've got experience of it now and you understand what's going on now and you can see, you know, what auntie's doing and you can see what uncle's doing and you, you kind of, and this is what I was saying about face-to-face -face stuff, you know, I can see what this chef is doing and I, I you know, there's a connection. So the ones that you really like, you, you, you can, you know, and then you, they recognize your face and then you become chatting to them, you, come, you get to know their family. And this for me is, is eating, this is what it's kind of about. So I no longer plan at all, anything. I will go back and visit old friends, which, you know, so in my head I've got a plan of, oh, I'll go and see so-and-so 
or I don't see this person. But I don't have an itinerary of what do I have to eat because what you end up doing is building a list that's far too big for your for most people holiday. They might have a week in Singapore, for example. I mean, you can't eat everything in Singapore in a week. You can't even eat the top twenty, you know. So unless you're rushing around and going from here to here to here to see, eat, 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 and then you're not enjoying it. You're not taking the time to get to know that person, you know. So you, although you're gaining on food count, you're losing on experience. So I realize, don't do this. You know, go to the country. Um, and 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 look look for yourself because I might communicate with one auntie really really well just because you get that chemistry you get a connection and you know like you go and eat their food and you really like it but you might be different and you might connect with somebody else so for me to recommend you this place I can only recommend on food and you know but it's your own experiences right you need to find your own sort of yeah. uh, travel so now I literally I, I my my itinerary would be if I came to Singapore today, the first thing I would do is jump on the uh, metro system, the tube, and choose a station that I've never been to before and go and take the train to there and walk around and look and see what's happening and just see what I can find there. You know, I, I do follow Will, Will Cook, Will I do follow Ayashua um, Post uh, and David Yip also follow these guys. So I'm aware of many of the old school you know like the, the hidden places and the ones that not many people know about because obviously that's my interest and i like to read about that when i'm here so they're always kind of check marked in my head but at the same time if i'm in an area that i've never been to before then i just follow my nose and, and see what's there and see who talks to me see who wants me to eat their food you know it's it's almost like it's it's just down to the people really mm. you know like sometimes Sometimes the food doesn't even matter, you know. Sometimes you can chat with somebody and they just, they're really cool and they give you food and you make a connection like that. And so that's kind of my, my travel itinerary, basically, is just get there, find strangers, eat their food and see if we get out. You know? I think that's fantastic. I can relate to so much of what you said because, you know, for, for a foodie, there's so much expectation to like plan the perfect holiday or to eat the best food that a country can offer. So I used to do exactly, you know, yeah. you know how you described it, which was I would watch video upon video of Mark Weens or like the food ranger and look for like the 10 out of 10 yeah. places, make a full list, plan the exact locations to visit. When I got there, I would be so disappointed because I set myself up so high, you know, and I would feel that it's so overrated and you're right you don't enjoy yourself at all because you're just gorging yourself when I go back to Singapore my very first trip I just felt so sick because I just wanted to cover all the different places because I only go back once a year but I realized I was losing out on the connection you know like the little yeah. you know bits of interaction that you have that are not planned um, yeah. so what do you think is a good duration to stay in a place to really understand the cuisine and the culture i'll be honest with you i've been doing the same trip or similar trip um i generally i, I leave london in december and i come back home in march wow. i think i've been this trip for the last six months now and in this trip i will i always go to bangkok first uh, I have more friends in Bangkok. That's like my my kind of base. And, you know, you miss your friends and you want to see them. And, you know, and there's a couple of chefs there that I absolutely love to eat food from. Um, and so that's always the, the base. And then 
I kind of, because I have a, a three month window, I can go to Cambodia, I can go to Myanmar, not anymore, but I, I could I'd go to Myanmar. And I have friends in each one of them now, which I've built as, as I've gone along over the last six or seven years. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really kind of difficult to say that you're really going to understand anything. Like after all this time, you know, like I still find new things, I still find different stuff and because every country also evolves you know like as quickly as you're learning they're evolving because you know there's no kind of you know especially i think with the hawker stores as well i think we're kind of reaching that decade where the original owner and the youngers are kind of taking over or they're giving up and they want to obviously in singapore they want to go and earn the big money or they want to go to kl and earn like big money so I, I, you, you're either gonna have these hawkers continue it or it's gone forever yeah. and uh, and then somebody will step in with something new um, mm-hmm. and I, I found in Penang particularly that all the old school places are disappearing and the, the kids obviously they don't want to stay in Penang they're growing up now there's there's tech businesses you know there's there's money everywhere you know like they want to go to KL they want to do this and so a lot of the old stalls with stuff that you just can't find even in the restaurants anymore because everybody's kind of feels like everybody's on the same algorithm like even with Google or Facebook where you look for one thing and suddenly that's that's all you see and the hawker stalls are like that as well because they know that for example Chakwe Chow is the most the most known dish or laksa like these are the two dishes that everybody knows so every time you lose joe or me laksa opens you know so you're kind and because they want the tourists to come to them they don't want to have this unfashionable dish that nobody knows when was the first visit um to singapore that you did my first visit was probably six years ago maybe Uh Six or seven years ago, possibly. Um, I'm not too good at judging time, and this COVID thing has lost me completely. Like it's like these last two years haven't really existed, and yeah. and obviously the trips do blend into one a bit because I don't because I don't plan it. I don't have you know when you write things down, you remember. Yeah. So um, I was I was going to Singapore. I was going with a friend, um, a guy called Colin, owns a noodle place here. He's a Vietnamese guy. We travelled together a lot. We used to travel around LA together, and you know. Um, and we were meeting up and another friend of ours was well we were both in separate countries we weren't in singapore and a friend of ours was um flying to sydney to see her family and she her layover was in singapore so we were like okay let's all just meet up um we arranged to do that and i arrived a day early um and i i stayed in uh Kongsek because i knew i knew dave pin um, and I wanted to go to Burnt Ends because I'd heard about it for so long and it was like, you know, this is the big name and, you know, like it was, but because I personally knew the chef. So like I was happy to kind of do that. And I arrived in Comsec and um, I, I dinner was going to be later on that night and I hated it. I absolutely hated it. Like it was, I, I can't explain this. I, I walked around a little bit. Um, I went up towards Chinatown, which I, I liked, but I didn't actually get down the back of Smith Street. I, I was kind of just along the main road. Um, I just couldn't get on with it. It was too clean. It was like, you know, I'd come in from like Bangkok, like, you know, I go down a lot of the, the 
alleyways in Bangkok and like dusty places and you know everything was a little bit and in that area there's no real sort of street food stalls or you know it's kind of a like I didn't really know the concept of hawker centers that well like I knew there was street food but so I was I was there and I, I went for dinner um, which was fantastic like burnt ends was great um, and my friends arrived and a friend of mine who, who followed each other, he used to work in London. Um, he messaged me and he said, you're in Singapore? And I said, yeah. And he said, I'll pick you up tomorrow. And I was like, oh, okay. Cause I didn't have plans. And I was like, well, you know, and um, he drove me around, um, drove all of us around. And he was like, oh, you, you've got to, you've got to try this place. And he took us to, um, you know, the coffee shop, Heng, Heng, I, I can't remember the name of it. Keep saying yeah. No. Yeah, he took me there uh, and that was it. I, I was in love with Singapore. Straight away, I was like, yeah, this is me. I, I, I totally realized that I was, I'd stayed in the wrong area for me. Um, and he, yeah, I, I, as soon as I, I sat there, I had a cup of butter coffee. And, and, and this, this, just watching this old guy scraping the bread, you know, like just, you know, he does the toast, right? And I, and I just, and then seeing all this old Singapore community coming into this shop still, and that was it. I was in love. I, I knew that this was this was the place for me. So it was like I, I I made the mistake of not really looking where I should stay, but I stayed for convenience. So yeah, my very first initial experience was was awful. And then if it wasn't for Sean, you know, like he he kind of went over and above board and, and took me to all the little places and you know like some poor me places and yeah. you know and the food was amazing and I was just like oh my god like I maybe would have found it if, if I'd been left alone but I wouldn't have done it in the time scale yeah. and I wouldn't have really understood Singapore as quickly um, and I, I, I might have missed out on a lot and I'm you know I might have never come back or never liked it and I might have never ever seen the Hawker centers you know like and that would have been just disastrous because I I believe the the, home, uh, the Singapore Hawker Center is the best place to eat in the world yeah I was just about to ask you what was your first brush with our Hawker centers like so the first thing I ate the first ever plate of Hawker food was 23 Zion Road it was the first time I'd been into a Hawker center it was like even though it's only a smaller one like suddenly i understood how this works you know it, it was just like everywhere else except it also had everywhere else you know, and i think this is the thing that separates the hawker centers in singapore to everywhere else in the world is tired street food is 90 percent or 95 percent always thai food you know um, malaysia is always malaysian food even though that has a, a variation um Vietnam, literally everything, you know, all food in Vietnam is basically Vietnamese food. You might get the occasional Korean restaurant for tourists, but it's, you know, whereas in Singapore, you have everything, you know, there's Japanese food, there's, there's Korean food, you know, they have everything from, from every country. So the variety in itself is incredible and the quality of it is high. You know, Singaporeans don't accept bad food. Like, you know, you, you can see it. You can't, you can't not talk about food in Singapore. Um, I, I learned the, the best thing to do, again, I don't plan, so the best thing to do is when you get the taxi from Changi, talk to the driver. Where do you eat? You know, you will get a list. And like, they all have done it. Every time I 
tried it every single time like and it works every time they, they give you a list of places and there'll be one on that list that you've never been to or maybe two you know I think it's just that you could ask any Singaporean in the street, basically. Yeah. You know, like you could yeah. stop someone and just say, oh, excuse me, where do you eat when, you, when you're a girl? And they, they, like in England, like you, you wouldn't get this. Like, you know, you say to a taxi driver, oh, like where, where do you go to eat? And he's just going to say, oh, like I eat at home or sometimes I'll go out to like the chip shop. Or, you know, like they don't have an outdoor eating or, you know, like the whole percenters are available to everybody if you know what i mean and it's somewhere that people go you know families rather than stay home and cook they go you know you go to hawker center like whereas here people don't just when the the middle classy kind of crowd do like you know they go out to eat most days but any normal kind of nine to five job like they go home like they'll have something to eat they might pick up something from the supermarket and eat it up in the microwave like they're not obsessed with food like the same way that like, i find singaporeans are more you know they finished work okay which center we go to where we're going to eat now you know and so like it, it's kind of a and and, and they have their favorite places like because they eat out a lot so they compare yeah here people don't do like you know only the actual food crowd really eats out and london is probably the only place like there are smaller things everywhere but i think in london it's the only place that really has this i think probably 60 or 70 percent of the population do not care about food really? they don't care they don't care what they eat they don't care if they what can get food. uh they just they, i mean they, they don't want to eat something that's bad don't get me wrong but they'll be happy to go to local pizza shop local fish and chip shop local indian food they won't care if it's good one or bad one you know like it's just oh we, we're just eating because we have to eat you know like it's not they're not discerning about it they don't care yeah. Yeah. so i was just wondering is there anything that you encountered in singapore that you feel a typical um white person in london would find it d difficult to accept well we've got a, a big thing at the moment um uh, maybe not a big big thing right now but it has been and it flares up constantly and this is durian and it, it's it's not you know people don't really understand it for a start there's a lot of people that like don't don't get it and like look we all know it has a distinct smell which is fine you know like i mean and you can't walk into a hotel without a sign telling you there's a ten thousand pound fine if you're coming in with that you know we know but the way people talk about it is i think something that needs to be looked at because just don't call other people's food disgusting you know like oh it stinks or and and i think the press and like you know even people you know writing online and whatever you know there's ways of saying all right okay i don't like this you know like that's fine if you don't like it good like you know like you're allowed to like and not like things that's fine but this criticism of oh it stinks and this like you know just just be respectful about that you know like don't be you know don't 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 because especially when it's like different people's foods where for example um in in china they eat like lots of things that we don't eat in london or england but there's one billion people that think this is okay you know and we're like a small island so don't have that feeling that you can talk about this food as if it's disgusting because there's a lot more people that like it than there is that don't you know and so you're kind of the minority so you need to be respectful to, to that food 
as opposed, you know, because more people like it. Like personally, I've eaten some interesting and strange and stuff that's different to what I would ever eat in London. And I've liked a lot of it, to be fair. But there have been a couple of things that I haven't liked. And, you know, when you're standing in front of somebody and they're looking at you saying, what do you think? And you're like, you know, if I went, I, I saw a video of a guy spitting out a tea egg, you know, like, I mean, what, you're a child, it's an egg and it's got a flavour of tea. It's not, you know, it's not even disgusting, even if you want to call it disgusting. It's just not something that you like, you know, or not to your taste. But to be on video, like, doing your blog and spitting it out and going, like, oh, it's disgusting, uh, like, how disrespectful is that? You know, like, you're in somebody else's place and you're, would you do it at a friend's house? No, of course not. Yeah. But, I, I, yeah, I think that the London crowd... Uh, they they all clamour and say, oh, yeah, we want Sichuan food, we want this, we want that. But when they actually get it, what they mean is we kind of want to be part of the trend, but like we want it modified so it's like not too strong tasting for us because, you know, sometimes I give them Thai food. They're like, I love Thai food. You say, oh, okay, try this. And they eat it and they go, like, do this. You know, and it burns them out and they're like, oh, my God, it's so hot. And I'm like, well... I thought you wanted Thai food. And they said, well, yeah, but like not this one. <laughs> like, well, yeah. that is Thai food. What you've had is not, you know. Yeah. So how would you introduce one of your friends to, you know, a new cuisine or a new culture? Would you try to like ease them in with baby steps or would you go all in and try to give I them think, an accurate depiction of what the cuisine is like? I think it kind of, I think easing people in is the kindest way. I mean, you know, like, especially with something like, I mean, if I wanted to, to give them Southern Thai food or something like that, I mean, the spice levels are high, you know, or Lao food. I mean, God, give them Lao food. Imagine it. And, and over here, we, we do have um, Isan restaurants, restaurants which are basically um, English guys who've worked in Bangkok. Um, they worked at Nam and places for David Thompson. And they've opened up restaurants over here, you know, and they're successful and, and they're, you know, quite close to, you know, Thai food per se, but they're also that sort of structured version. Um, and so not quite, you know, like they've, they've kind of tempered the spice a little bit and taken a little, you know, just brought it so it's a bit more balanced and rounder and it doesn't lean towards the spiciness of the, you know. Um, and that's a good way to get people introduced to it, um, I think. And, yeah. And, you know, because people... People say this, I love Thai food, I love this, I love that. And you know, you know, they've not been, um, which is kind of, so they're not getting, they're getting what, what's, what's easy to westernise. I think that's pretty much what it is. It's not like Sydney where you can go to Thai town and you know, blow your head off with like just super hot, you know. Yeah. It's here, everything's sort of infanticised. Like even fruit, you know, like if you want to buy fruit here, you can. Um, but then they've got the option where there's there's fruit in plastic containers that's been cut for you, you know, and it's like, how, how, how childish must you be to be a grown adult and buy like a fruit that's just been chopped into, into pieces for convenience as opposed to just picking up an apple and eating it, you know, like, do you, you know, does your food have to be packaged and processed? And I think there's some psychology to that as well that, somehow people don't relate meat to animals if they see it in a plastic package because yeah. you can sort see them they'll just pick up meat in the supermarket no problem but then if you take them to like a proper butchers they're sort of like oh oh i don't, I don't know i don't know what that is you know like and they're kind of a bit squeamish and you're like this is the same thing but it doesn't have plastic around it 
I don't, oh, but like that one's, you know, I think there's, there's something there I, would, uh, I don't know deep enough. Yeah, I noticed that cultural difference. Like, for example, in Singapore, we always enjoy meat on the bone, right? When you yeah. chop up a chicken, it's always chopped with its bone. It's placed on the plate. Um, but in the Western world, you know, the way you carve a chicken or a bird or like a turkey, it's always off the carcass and then you get like two breasts, two, two thighs and so on. Same with fish, you know, like here, people always eat fillets. But in Singapore, uh -huh. it's always whole steamed fish. Um, right. So did you notice any cultural differences in terms of eating habits when you were in Singapore? People want their fish filleted. They don't want bones in their fish. They don't want, you know, they, they basically, they, they want everything done for them. They want to still be that child at the, at the dinner table that mm. their mum used to feed, which I get because obviously this is probably the, the origin of connection, you know, like as a baby you see your mother's face and she's feeding you, you know, like that. And so you come to accept that a friendly face giving you food, that that's the way to eat. And that becomes your kind of thing until you're old enough to sort of establish, oh, I'm hungry. I need to get food for myself. Like even as a child, even at eight years old, nine years old, when you're hungry, you don't go to the fridge. You go, mom, I'm hungry. What, what, what can I have? You know, like you're looking for the face. You're always looking for the face to allow you to eat, you know, and we're natural foragers and we pick things up. And if you pick up the wrong thing, your mum is there, no, not that. Here, have this. And so, and so I feel that like that's like, people are more childish here. And, you, know, mm -hmm. you know, like you can't have meat that's not cut already, can't have fruit that's not already peeled for them, you know, can't go to the restaurant and eat a, a fish with a bone in, you know, God forbid they have to touch the food, you know, they want the, they want the knife and fork and, you know, like it, it, it's, I don't know, it's it's childish, but I think that, that the restaurants play to it as well. I think, you know, they, 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 they serve things that look perfect more so than taste perfect. You know, like I think Instagram culture has created this as well. You know, yeah. there's nothing kind of personally I want to see bones on the side of the plate. I want to see a feast. I want to see that people have eaten, you know, I don't want to see a neat, tidy cut and plate and nothing, you know, like it, it just doesn't have that sort of visceral, con, you know, and, and I feel that eating should be 10 dishes all cooked, you know, and you just share everything you share, like, you know, whereas yeah. here, you know, everything is kind of sterilized down to one bowl each, you know, like you, you can't touch their food, you can't do that, you know, we'll have three courses and then we'll go home. And it will say, oh, that was delicious. Or, you know, there's, there's the sharing concept doesn't work uh, outside of the food crowd who've grown to know, uh, you know, without even traveling, like, you know, you can go to, like, we have a lot of localized Chinese restaurants, which are tucked away all over the place. Lots of little diasporas everywhere, which is great. You know, yesterday I went to um, a, a, an industrial estate in the West of London, which no one has probably ever been to to eat before in their life outside of the community that knows it and it's just an iraqi place um about five different iraqi places and they're doing the fish in the, in the, in the cages like over like flame and you know and it's just simple eating and we all just sat and shared fish together like they didn't even give us cutlery or anything you just get like a, a, a massive carp you know in a silver tray and we all just sat there peeling off bits of fish bones everywhere you know normal to us but for most people if i gave them that they'd look at it like it was a dead rat they wouldn't know what the hell to do with it they'd just go what and i'd go well, eat it and they, they, they wouldn't know how they wouldn't yeah. you know they can't 
get out of this weird hygiene sanitization you know like it's i don't know i just don't understand it and again i think the market is driving people into this really sanitized well-being healthy and yet producing horrible processed food and dressing this up as like the the, the best food you can get you know and, and people are falling for it. you know the marketing and the psychology is so strong mm. people just can't see beyond it they can't you know so yeah um yeah, I mean, there's lots of things that, 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 that in Singapore would be not really understood so much, I think, over here. Like, even simple things like noodles and, and, you know, like, we have places that do that, but it's not really, like, a standardised thing. It's only really the Asian community that goes to those places and, you know, and the few of us that, that have been to Asia and, and respect and know what it is. Most people would be too scared to go in. Like even in Chinatown, you see, they're, they're, I mean, it's packed every day. It's busy. Yeah. But if you look on the plates, they'll only take dim sum or sweet and sour chicken or, you know, occasionally like roast meat has started to become quite, quite a So, you know, you've got your crispy pork, you've got your duck. Like it's started to be accepted and it comes, a lot of people order it on, on the bone. Like, yeah. um, but even the, 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 the sort of normal crowd, they generally have it off the bone. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you use the word fearful <laughs> to describe, you know, the sensibilities of people towards ethnic cuisine. Because um, I remember there was once where I was visiting a friend and uh, I told her I wanted to try like um, Iranian food or Egyptian food in, in some suburb. And she was like, can we try some normal food? And, you know, to me, that was mind blowing because, you know, how can you assume that some cuisines are normal and some are not? Yeah, I mean, they all are. They're all normal to somebody. You know, this is the, I mean, if I took an Iraqi person to the place I went to yesterday, they'd just say, oh, well, okay, local food. Yeah, fine. You know, whereas if I took them maybe to Chinese area, Chinese restaurant, they might say, oh, okay, this is different. This is not, you know, yeah. but I mean everybody eats and and you know the, the problem is that everybody looks at the world now from their own perspective it's all me 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 you know you look on instagram it's look it's me eating their food and this is the wrong thing you know like it should be i went to their place and ate the food like not i'm doing them a favor yeah, and like you know, you mentioned a couple of um, the, the food bloggers and the, the, the video guys earlier. Like I know Trevor Food Ranger in here. Like he's actually not too bad, but he does still have that kind of look. Look, I'm somewhere out there. You know, like you're not. You're you're just in another place. Other ones are even worse. They literally just go anywhere if it's got something on the menu that that, that they don't really know. They'll just kind of buy it, make a video of it because they know that outside of a very very small circle everybody else will think oh my god this is the wildest thing in the world you know he ate us you know whatever it is that they, they choose yeah. and so they're, they're playing to a market that is completely ignorant as you go south in thailand and trap there's a place there called rat boiled rice you know like this place is not there for tourists or to show off it's there because people are poor and like this is a way of feeding them, you know. And you, you know, you can eat it. It's not, you know, it's not something that you can't eat, but it's just something that you would choose not to. But it doesn't mean you can look down on that and say like, oh, that's disgusting. Oh, like how could you do that? Like, you know, because just because, you know, in your country, like in, in this country, rats are, are pretty disgusting because they live in like 
underground tunnels and whatnot, you know, that like you wouldn't want to eat it, but we have a variety of choice. We don't have to. Whereas there, it's in the middle of nowhere. There's not really a lot of choice. Like, you know, there's, there's not no farmers. No one's going to, you know. And so, like, yeah, you eat what you, can, what you can to survive. So, but when I tell people, oh, my God, oh, my God, you know, and you're just like, look, you know, like, life's not as easy as you have it. You know, it's not. You know, you have to understand other cultures and other people have different ways of life. And, mm. you know, you just have to respect what people do and eat. No one's forcing you to do anything. No one no one needs your opinion on it. Like, you know, you just let them be, you know. So, yeah, I mean. So in that sense, what do you think is the role of um, influences on social media? And do you consider uh, yourself one as well? I do not. I refuse <laughs> to. I get, oh my God. So everybody does this to me. Like they, they, they post on Instagram, you know, like oh, influenced by, you know, and I'm like, come on, like, you know, for me, an influencer is someone who gets paid by a company to tell lies about food. You know, that's pretty much what it is. Like, I mean, there's no ways around it. And, and the difference is that sometimes they find a place that's actually or they get work for a place that's actually very good it can happen you know but the problem with that is and then that sort of solidifies their view about everything else i mean they could do 20 terrible places you know and then find one good place and then because they've done the good place everyone goes oh they go to it go, oh yeah they know what they're talking about and it's like, do they? Did you check the 19 places before? You know, and, and it's, I mean, it's advertising. It, it's the same as any adverts you used to see on TV, you know, best ever aerial yeah. automatic washing powder, best this, best that. You know, like, it, it's always going to be the best, isn't it? Because everything improves. But you're just influencing people into going to places that are not the best. You know, they're not really good. They're very average. But they just have a higher budget. They have a, yeah. a bigger spending um, and I find it really unfair because, like I was saying earlier, there's like loads of people that work really hard. You know, they don't get paid a lot, but they're working really hard. They don't get the chance to go out very often. Um, and generally speaking, like they might go out for a meal once every two weeks. That might be their special night out. You know, they might date night together or something. You know, go somewhere really nice. And they don't know much about the food scene. They, they follow a few influencers on Instagram because, you know, let's be honest, the, the, the ones who have the highest follower accounts are the ones who generally are followed, you know, everybody sort of knows. And, and so people trust those because they've got the high follower account. The problem is that, like, because they have that, like, the, the marketing they do is from higher paid companies because small independents that are very good can't afford to pay them a thousand pounds to go into their restaurant and advertise it. So you've got this horrible scale of like they're the most popular, but they're also just working for the, the, the most invested. So, you know, it, it's never the best food. And a lot of times it's, it's average at best, you know. And even the setup of the whole thing now, it seems to be that it's more important that a place looks really good, you know, like people will open a restaurant and they'll spend half a million on the fit out and then pay the chef like 20 grand a year, which is you know they should be paying the chef a lot and getting a good chef and doing half price on the fair i mean you know because like, it doesn't really matter where you're sitting if the food's good yeah could you tell me about your website follow the farang right it's basically like a live map like google maps 
um, where wherever you are, you can go to wherever you are and scroll in and it will have like different icons, like with different colors for restaurants, bars, and you can just basically get all the information for free. Like every years of, of knowledge and walking up and down those roads, I mean, you know, you'll get the maps, you'll get all the things and, the, and each thing on the map will link to the, the review and the, the price and then I try and obviously work with like people like booking.com so I can get you discounts into going into those hotels, you know, and, and every penny of that will go to uh, the, whichever the monthly charity is going to be, like or the target amounts, you know, so say once we raise 5,000, that will go to a charity and then we'll go to somebody else. Um, and yeah, so there's lots and lots of different charities. I have people in place in, in most countries who can advise me which charities are the best to, to go with, who's going to get the most money to them, blah, 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 blah. So yeah, it's basically going to be a, an ongoing service. And obviously each month there'll be different pay scales, like however much you want to donate. Uh, I'm going to try and get a lot of local businesses to get involved, um, especially if they're doing um, food from other countries, um, benefiting from their culture and, and you know, like you can give a little bit back so you can do that through the website. Um, and yeah, just try to raise as much money as possible and give everybody as much information as possible, you know, save me having to reply <laughs> on Instagram 5,000 times. Because this is how it actually all started um, years ago, about 10, 10, 11, 12 maybe years ago. Um, I just constantly have people asking me, where do I eat? Where do I eat? Where do I eat? So a friend of mine said, why don't you just do an Instagram of just like everywhere to go to eat, you know? And yeah, so yeah, that's how it started. So I'm just sort of taking it up to the next level with the follow the throne. Why is there so much of this anger towards people? Like these, these people are fantastic, you know, like don't pick on sort of bullying, you know, or, or at least just stand up and say, actually, no, you're wrong when someone's being a dick, you know, like because there's a lot of times people have been you know, abused and racism and, and all sorts going on at the moment. And it's just so unwarranted and it's so unfair. Yeah, so true. I, I think it's fantastic work that you're doing. And I think it sounds so ambitious. And I really hope that you can get it done. But I have just one last question for you. And I think sure, this is yeah, a sure. question that everyone is dying to, you know, hear your answers to, which is like, what are your top favorite places to eat at in Singapore? When I go to Singapore, there's one thing which I really, really love. Um, and I don't think anybody does it better. It's the chuchao food. I think that this is just just because I know the progression and, and, and how it's come over and how, you know, backwards and forwards. And, and so I would say my favourite place, uh, no, I'm not going to say it's my favourite, but I am going to say it is one of the places that I love to go to. And the reason, again, is because it's in Bedok. It's yeah. in the middle of nowhere and there's no tourists there. And, you know, it's actually in the blocks and it's a, a two-child restaurant called Chinli. Um, and it's just fantastic. Like they, they, they have all the old style stuff. Like they haven't changed, you know, with all the, the, the trotters in the jelly and, you know, like all the really old school two-child cuisine. And I, and I really love that. Um, so that is one of my favourite places. Um, and, and simply because... You know, it takes an effort to get there. You know, it's not just handed to you. No one ever talks about it. It's, you know, it's, it's a hidden little gem that, you know, I've told friends who live in Singapore about this and they don't even know it. They've never yeah, I've it. never ever heard of this place. You haven't? No. Oh, my God. Is oh it my God. a eatery or like a proper restaurant? Or is it like a... Yeah, 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 it's a proper restaurant um, and it has outside seating as well. 
Um, yeah, it's a, a, a quite quite big size, um, family run. You know, been there for God knows how long. Um, just yeah, it's just uh, it's a great example of everything that I love about eating in in different places. You know, because it's a old school Chinese cuisine, and, and the the chew chew food is is so good in Singapore just because that diaspora and the you know the, the, the growth and the going backwards and forwards and adapting this to that and you know it, it's it's a really exciting cuisine that people don't really you know it's just not well known enough i don't think um alongside others which which get a lot more press um i also like the nyonya food as well mm. so like or any of the kachong laksa anything like that I, i'd say i love the scissor cut rice um the curry rice you know i like all those those things um Zion Road, obviously, because I, 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 it was my first thing. It's just nostalgia for me. Um, Sin Ming for the roti prata. Um, oh. I went, there, I went there for the papaya, and I ended up like wandering. Obviously, you look around, and I saw the prata there, and I was just like, okay. Oh, that's my favorite. Yeah, I mean, there's a few of us actually. It's quite, quite interesting because I, I obviously I follow you, and I follow a couple of other people, um, and I went there. Two years ago, I went to first because they've got the little Michelin papaya guys, which was very good also. But uh, when I when I had the the roti there, I was just like, oh hell! Like, it's like I saw it, and I was talking to the guy, and I said to him like, you know, you, you're really busy, and he was like, yeah, we, we're very busy. Turns out, how many do you do a day? Start at least five hundred, at least. And I was like, okay, I said I'm gonna have to have this because I could see it was good, you know, and, and I had it, and I just thought. You know, sorry, Mr. and Mrs. Nohan. Like, I do love you too, but but this guy, you know, he's 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 good. I, this is what I look for. Just going into those areas, you know, like I think even in the last ten years, the world has changed so drastically. You know, somehow, and this is another reason again why I like the the historical stuff. Um, everything has become glass boxes. Like the whole world now, like whatever capital city you go to, it's filled with glass boxes. And inside those glass boxes are all the global corporations like Nike, Adidas, you know, Gucci. And they're in every single capital city. So each city is losing its identity slowly, slowly, slowly. You know, like it, it's yeah. kind of a culture that, that, that the young generation don't want anymore because they can't go TikTok and you know they can't do this whole thing so I understand that things have to move forwards and change I'd like to be even a small small part of keeping some of these things alive that wraps up another episode of the Singapore Noodles podcast you have been listening to Chris Prowler who is the founder of Follow the Farang and also he's the person behind the Instagram account Prowlergram once again thank you for listening to the podcast and I'll catch you all next week